Uh, well, Australians, they have a curious relationship with their government, don't they, as Chris was saying earlier. Uh, we don't often uh, gush over our leaders. We don't regularly revolt against them either, though. Now, I'm speaking in uh, generalisations, but we generally treat governing authorities with a degree of indifference. Uh, we're, we're happy we have them, we guess, but we don't want to pay them too much heed. And our reluctance probably comes from our tendency to cut down tall poppies. That's what the cultural commentators are always carrying on about from their armchairs anyway. So I just did it then. You see, for the Christian though, Romans 13 makes our reluctance about secular government uh, more pointed, even problematic. We're often wary of Christians who get too political, aren't we? Membership of a uh, political party or a lobby group can be perceived as a conflict with our faith. And we can be tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to politics because we know as Christians that every power and authority, heavenly or earthly, all of them are subject to Jesus Christ and he sits enthroned at the Father's right hand. So why get all caught up in the political point scoring or the online petitions that swirl around here down on earth? You know, we're to set our minds on things above, aren't we? That's where we've been raised now as uh, citizens of heaven with Christ. But Romans 13 won't let us get off that easily. In fact, uh, Paul makes the point in today's passage that matters as local as minutes from a council subcommittee meeting uh, right through to national cabinet, uh, these things reach beyond the daily news cycle and into the heavens. Uh, the purpose and the place of earthly authorities is of cosmic significance. And this cosmic significance should result in our submission to the governing authorities. In fact, submission is actually the, the default orientation that the gospel compels us to in all three of these talks in Romans 13. Now, submitting to the governing authorities uh, has not always been Australia's cup of tea, but 2020 has certainly been a year when obeying the government has perhaps even been popular. It began with those mass evacuation orders following the bushfires, then the social distancing, then the lockdown, uh, then the millions of Australians who downloaded uh, the COVID-19 tracing app. It seems that we will submit in life and death situations. But the situation for Christians should be that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus should govern our submission. So let's consider this evening how the cross of Christ uh, shapes the constitution, the consequence and the conscience of submitting to earthly authorities. Firstly, the first two verses there, the constitution. Verse 1 says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, there's not a lot of wriggle room uh, in that statement. Everyone is everyone. And the reason is pretty clear there too. It says that no authority, there is no authority except that which God has established. This is the divine constitution of governing authorities. They have been established by God, instituted by God. It actually says there in verse 2. And uh, So the hierarchy of governing authorities from uh, global, national, state, local, whatever it is, we find that at the top of that hierarchy is God. 
God in his goodness has established authority to be exercised over us in that hierarchical fashion because that is how order is made good by God. It's a pattern that's been there since creation. Humanity exercises dominion over creation and it's one that's reflected in the law of Moses and the kingship of Israel. Of course, we know that the integrity of that hierarchy has been corrupted by human sinfulness. And Paul knows that too. He's not naive. He spoke of the decay of earthly existence in Romans 8 and just in the chapter before in Romans 12, uh, he instructs his readers very firmly to not conform to the pattern of this world. Paul knows very well that human authority, the governing structures, that they don't function in righteousness. And yet, he calls us to submit to them. And why is that? Well, because they've been established by God. In verse 2, Paul argues, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Earthly authority is God's institution. Now, if you've read uh, any Christian book or article on parenting pretty much ever, uh, at some point the argument will be made uh, that Christian parents, they exercise their leadership over their children to at the very least model to them what it looks like to respond to the rule of a loving Heavenly Father. There is a theological reality that lies behind the pattern of a dad instructing his child to pick up their Lego. And in Ephesians 5, Paul gives a description of marriage and he makes it clear that the constitution of man and woman in a mutual loving relationship where lavish, selfless love and submission are witnessed, he says this is the best tangible example of how Jesus relates to his church that we can understand. Now, you and I both know that marriages and the parenting within our homes, they are not perfect. They are routinely corrupted by sinful behaviour and and that can result in, in terrible atrocity as well. But we would never think to dispense of the institutions of marriage and family as part of our society, regardless of how tainted those two institutions have become by sin. And it's the same with the hierarchy of earthly authority that God has instituted. It exists at a basic level so that we might tangibly demonstrate and and practice and understand our faithful submission to God. Of course, this uh, doesn't let the governing authorities off the hook either because all human authority is populated by humans. Earthly authority exists because of the gracious provision of God. And so those in positions of authority well, they need to be mindful of the temporary and the limited nature of their power. Those in authority need to submit to the hierarchy that they find themselves in because even at the upper echelons of global power, no one sits above God. No one sits above what God has constituted. So if if private citizens or public officials if either of them fail to submit to God's hierarchy, well, they can expect some kind of you know, punitive action, as verse 4 will go on to say. But in verse 2, Paul says that rebelling against authority 
brings judgment. A judgment that has overtones here of God's judgment of us. We can express faithfulness to God when we respond in submission to the government and consequently to God's divinely constituted hierarchy. And we can even still submit when we dissent from what those in governing positions decree. We can do this as our particular uh, governmental system allows. We can vote them out. We can write a letter to our member. We can participate in political demonstrations within the bounds of our laws. Because, friends, if we navigate a dissenting position that upholds the rights and responsibilities that our government affords to us, well, then we can actually express our faithfulness to God because we are calling those further up the hierarchy than us to submit as well. To submit not only to a local, state or federal constitution, but to their divinely ordained place in what God has constituted. Calling our government and law enforcement agencies to account for their treatment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in custody that does not fall outside the bounds of submitting to those in authority. Christians and non-Christians alike can use the tools of democracy that those above us provide to challenge those above us, to challenge them to reconsider whether they are in fact acting justly for those that they govern. So let's consider now the, uh, the consequences of submission and non-submission to our governing authorities in verses 3 and 4. Now, at first glance, they seem pretty basic in their outcome. Um, receiving a, a commendation from the authorities there in verse 3, that sounds much like a, a civil recognition, like being able to apply for a 10-year a driver's licence renewal at a significant discount because you have such a good driving record. But on the flip side... Uh, if you disobey the authorities, Paul says in verse 4, that they don't bear the sword for no reason. In the context of the Roman Empire, of course, capital punishment was uh, an ever-present reality. And while we thankfully don't face such uh, extreme retribution, being punished in a court of law or otherwise, um, that's still a, you know, a tangible, concrete experience that we can face. But Paul is not just stating the obvious here. You know, he's, not, he's not just saying, do good, no problems, do bad, face the chop. Now, the language used here about governing authorities, um, it's not limited to an earthly reality. In fact, Paul is actually alluding to a spiritual one. Twice in verses 3 to 4, um, the one in authority is referred to as God's servant. And Paul even uses the term for servant that is commonly used to describe a minister of the gospel. Paul's point is that secular authorities, whether they acknowledge it or not, they have been graciously provided for our good, for our benefit, by God. Even when they enact discipline, Paul, he really uses kind of final judgment terms there in verse 4. He describes the secular authorities as agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Paul is speaking here of the model God has established for earthly authority, where those in authority should also acknowledge their place in God's hierarchy, 
where they would act to bring the good that God ordains and the punishment that God ordains as well. The consequence of submitting to authorities should be for our good. But the consequence should also be for our authorities to act as God's servants, for that is what they are. Now, I can remember um, when I was 18, losing my P's for a few months after getting pinged for speeding on a double demerit weekend. I was pretty annoyed, so I wrote a letter to the police about how I thought I'd been on a declining angle and I had a full load and I may have taken longer than necessary to slow down, but I wasn't deliberately speeding, etc., etc. I basically did everything other than taking responsibility for my own driving. And I can remember one of my youth leaders at the time, he just hammered me about writing that letter. He asked me if, at the speed I was travelling, could I have safely avoided a pedestrian if they'd stepped onto the road? Probably not. Did I think the speed limit had been unreasonably set by the government? No. Did I think the fine was unreasonable, given that the terms of my driver's licence required me to be in full control of my vehicle and to comply with road safety regulations? No. And he went on and on uh, about speeding and accidents and deaths and consequences that were beyond simply getting a fine and catching the bus for three months. Now, I'm not going to judge you if uh, you've challenged a speeding fine. Sometimes there can be injustices or inconsistencies. Police officers are people too, and people are really good at making mistakes. But, but my attitude of jumping to write that letter, rather than taking stock of all the rules and restrictions which not only exist for my good, but for the good of my passengers, fellow motorists and pedestrians, well, that reaction was actually me rejecting God's gracious provision of earthly authorities. See, friends, whether it's a mobile speed check, a council rates bill, a tax audit, God's intention is for those things to be instruments of his grace. Those who enact them and those who receive them should each respond in submission to God's common grace to us. And this is where the conscience of the Christian comes into play in the final three verses. See there in verse 5, Paul emphasises that we submit, we must submit actually, as a matter of conscience. It's a necessity. There is something more pressing than possible earthly punishment from our courts. It is not a simple cause and effect pattern that sets up our submission to authorities. Now, our conscience as a Christian is bound to Christ. The Holy Spirit, he has taken up residence in our conscience and he is actively equipping us, uh, transforming our minds to test and approve God's good and pleasing will, as Paul has just said in chapter 12. And part of God's good and pleasing and perfect will is that we would submit to the authorities. And so we don't grumble about paying taxes simply because if we don't, we will get fined. No, instead our conscience causes us to recognise that God has provided governing authorities for our good. And taxes are there to help them serve us. To help them serve us on God's behalf, as Paul says in verse 6. In fact, if you look closely there in verses 6 to 7, 
uh, there is that hierarchy that's been revealed to us by the Spirit. It's reflected there in what we are to owe. Because it starts with you know, basic concrete earthly things like taxes and revenue. But then it works up into matters that are not just about checks and balances. They're things like respect and honour. Our conscience, now captive to Jesus Christ, has revealed to us that the hierarchy of respect and honour is capped off by Jesus Christ himself. And so we can come to those mundane and ordinary things like tax tables and pay slips and superannuation laws. We can, we can come to those with the knowledge that submitting, even in the minutia, well, that, that feeds up and it flows out of the cosmic hierarchy where Christ sits exalted above the heavens. You can almost hear the wisdom of Jesus Christ's uh, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's echoed here in these verses. And the ultimate reality there is that it is all God's. And even the taxation to Caesar is a mechanism of God's grace to us. See, friends, the reality of the gospel is breaking into view here. We are to submit to the authorities down here on earth because in the heavens there is an exalted, victorious king who submitted himself unto death that he might pave a way for the hierarchy of government to be empowered by his grace. And it's a grace that teaches us to submit to those above us in love and to serve those beneath us in love. Submission to governing authorities is an expression of respect, not for the authorities in and of themselves, but rather for the crucified, risen and ascended Jesus who stands behind them. Jesus Christ is at the top of the hierarchy of authority and he's also at the centre of our conscience. And he's there by virtue of his resurrection and exaltation. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are freed. We are freed beyond reducing our government down to these mere burdens that we grumblingly obey. Instead, we are filled with compassion to both uh, reflect Christ to them in our submission, but also to use the creative power of the Spirit to seek new ways to love them, new ways to call them to see the wonder of submitting to Christ in their position of authority. Now, of course, this is going to raise questions for us about how can I submit to a corrupt government? How can I freely exercise my faith uh, if the authorities won't let me? Won't that be dishonouring to Christ? And of course it will be. And this is why we must remember uh, the limits and freedom of a conscience that is captive to Jesus Christ. Uh, Leon Morris, uh, he sums up the power of Christian conscience well. He says that, Conscience is a powerful reinforcement of the outward directions to submit to the state. But once conscience is brought in, there is a limit. What is uh, against conscience cannot be done. Conscience at one and the same time obliges us to be obedient and it sets a limit to that obedience. So I could work through all the many and varied scenarios with you where we might need to resist the governing authorities because of our conscience. And there is a biblical uh, precedent to do that. The book of Daniel deals with many scenarios uh, like that. 
And Peter the Apostle, he told the Sanhedrin where to go in Acts chapter 5. But all those caveats and those what about moments, you know, they're all in the Bible and they're all through church history. But to run straight to those loopholes, well, that's to run away from the burden of conscience that Paul lays out to us here in Romans 13. It skips over the repeated emphasis of God's gracious provision of earthly authority and that their primary purpose is to express God's common grace to all. You see, in good conscience, we have the freedom to exercise political influence for the good of others. Having a conscience that's gripped by the gospel actually compels us to do this. We have the freedom of a conscience that is captive to Christ to seek his good in all circumstances, and that includes the realm of political discourse and debate. But seeking this good cannot be separated from the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we face political tension or ethical dilemmas or matters of injustice, we must ensure that we don't naturally jump to pit earthly authority as an enemy that must be confronted with the gospel. Political disagreement does not have to be limited to combative behaviour. My prayer, of course, is that we never find ourselves in a situation where those in authority over us only seek our harm. But my more urgent prayer is that we might let the reality of the gospel grip our conscience, not just with our personal devotion to reading the Bible or not gossiping or not indulging in fleshly temptation, but actually gripping it in areas like politics, where we all too often will either pigeonhole that as you know, secular stuff that I don't need to pray over or ponder about, or worse, where we treat the state as the enemy of God rather than as the instrument of his grace. So as you submit to Christ as Lord, may you submit your conscience to what he has constituted in earthly authority. And may the consequence be for his glory alone. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for revealing that cosmic hierarchy that you have constituted where Jesus Christ sits at your right hand and he reigns over all authority. Father, we thank you for the consequences um, of submitting and not submitting that we can see tangibly played out. But Father, we're also so thankful that our conscience has been gripped by the Holy Spirit, that now it is captive to Jesus Christ and we can see that our conscience is bound to him but also free in him. So Father, give us wisdom as we navigate submitting to our, our secular authority and help us first and foremost, Lord, to love them to be thankful for them, to see that they are instruments of your grace and that we might constantly reflect that reality to them as we submit to them. Amen.